Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Okay, welcome back, Celebration Life Church. I guess it's glad to have you there uh, in real life so we can speak the Word of God to you. For just a little while this morning, I want to talk to you about what makes a good man. We understand that so much of Christianity and so much of church life today is ran by lots of good, strong, uh, godly women. And we thank God for that. But today we want to focus on what makes a man strong, what makes a godly man. And in the day and age that you and I live in, celebration in uh, life church, we need to understand that men must again come back to their role of becoming powerful and becoming strong. When a little boy in what we call babyhood, the first two years of their life, it is very important that you and I understand the importance of having a dad and a mom around. So that child, that little boy, can see the eyes of mom and dad at the same time. And after babyhood is over, which we call the first two years, then that baby boy goes into what we call childhood. Childhood is usually from the ages of 2 to 13. Usually around the age of 13, we go from babyhood to childhood to manhood. And you will often see the manifestation of a 21-year-old man, a 23-year-old young man, a lifestyle of a 25-year-old. All of those things come from the way they were raised by mom and dad. We are living in a time where the world, America, maybe even your nation, is trying to redefine what family is. And we've also always got to stick with the Bible. The Bible is not a rigid book. It is not a book of laws and things you can do and you can't do. It is the very heartbeat. It is the very map. It is the very instruction on how to live a strong, powerful, and godly life. Let me give you five or six major ingredients about becoming a powerful man, becoming a godly man, becoming a godly teenager, and before you can ever really, biblically speaking, become a father, you must first learn to become a great husband. Regardless to what our culture tells us, regardless to what our ethnic background tells us, we must always remember one of the greatest power that a man can have is he has to be secure in himself and in God to be vulnerable. We also know that if you're going to be a great man, it's almost impossible to have, be a great man if you don't have different types of women in your life. A mother, a wife, a grandmother, and even female siblings. Men today are strong. Men today are almost rigid because men sometimes feel like that I don't have anybody to go to. Men have just as much responsibility as any other person does. In a generation like this, you as a man must have great courage. You must be vulnerable. If you're going to be vulnerable, why not be vulnerable 
before God. The Bible makes it very clear. Little over 6,000 years ago, God himself prophesied the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, every human being acknowledged God as God, as God, as God. And after the actual prophecy of God the Father, when there was only two human beings living on the earth, which is Adam and Eve, God himself, with Adam and Eve and Satan prophesied in Genesis 3 verse 15 that my son is coming. And then the Bible says in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse number 16, that very clearly God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then we know so many thousands of years passed, and the Bible says that Jesus himself was born of the virgin birth, lived a perfect, sinless life. And after his death and his resurrection came from God the Father, it is after that we too, like Jesus, can acknowledge God also as our Father. Sometimes in life, there are men that don't have fathers, and they're orphans, and they're raised by women, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to encourage every young boy that's watching online and there at Celebration Life Church, maybe you have not had a dad around. You've been raised by your mom, and that's okay. I want to encourage you. The Bible says God will become a father to the fatherless. And because God loves us so much, because of what his son did for us, we have eternal life. Today, we say, my goodness, you children are blessed because of your mom and your dad. You children are blessed because of your dad or your mom. We understand that as parents, especially on this Father's Day, it is our job, our duty, our privilege to raise children. But it would be opposite for God the Father. God the Father didn't have to raise his children. He just had to bring his one begotten son. His name is Jesus. And God loved the world so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son that you and I could be adopted into the kingdom of God. Therefore, because of Christ, we as believers of God, we today can acknowledge God, not just as only God, but our Father. So God the Father gave his Son for the sacrifice of our own life. And we learn very clearly, if God loves you as Father, like all natural fathers, we have to, at times, discipline our children. And I've come to learn that I am too a father, not just a pastor. I do not enjoy, never enjoy disciplining my children. But I realize the motive of my discipline, sometimes even having to spank them. And remember, in the country that we live in, it's almost not allowed. But the Bible always works for them that clearly work it. The Bible says in 2 Samuel, Chapter 7, in the NLT version, starting in verse number 14, the Bible says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Here's a big one. And if I am his father, and if my son sins, I will correct and discipline him. And the Bible says, even with the rod, like any father would do. Back in the 1960s, I know it's a long time, 
back in the 1970s, back in the 1980s, and I'm not saying women have to do that, but there's a lot of validity and there's a lot of honor in when women look at their children as a ministry. I am all for female pastors and they're amazing pastors, but there was a time when it felt good for moms to stay home, raise their children, pray for their children, protect their children. And their most famous line that always worked for godly mamas was this, hey boy, you better get your act together because when your daddy comes home. Now, I was raised that way. My mama used to beat me when necessary, but when she hit me, it never hurt. I only remember my dad spanking me a few times in my life. I'd say four or five times. I'm thinking about it right now. And let me tell you, the four or five times she spanked me, it really, really hurt. What I like to focus on the verse is this. A father must be a man of great conviction. Without conviction, you cannot recognize rebellion. You cannot recognize sin. All of us are sinners. But I want to let you know, in my Christianity, as old as I am now, I believe I'm 53 years old, I still have a father that loves me so much that he likes to, needs to, and corrects me. See, the problem we make sometimes is this. We ourselves kind of like to almost enjoy correcting others, especially fathers with their children. But you know what? If you are going to correct somebody, you must first understand you too must be corrected. God, our Father, loves us, not only corrects us once in a while, but he almost has to do it often. And the best way to correct a child, literally, is not to really punish them, but to get them to understand for a moment of why they did what they did. And it's advantageous for all dads, future dads, young teenagers, they're 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, 21 years old. You might even have a girlfriend. I want to encourage you clearly without your accountability to God first. Until then, you'll never be a person of power and conviction. When your children do something wrong, you as a loving father must take the time to correct them. And why should we correct them? Because we understand what our identity is. A 14-year-old boy, let me say it earlier, a 14-year-old boy said, my dad is so ignorant. Every time he gets around me, I just don't want him to be around. And then the next seven years passed, and I got to the age of 21. And when I, as a 21-year-old young man, realized, I was astonished at how much my old man had learned the last seven years. We as parents, we have this great thing called the experience of life. There is not one man, I don't care what you say, I was raised in a godly family. Listen, we are all creatures of destruction. The Bible says no matter how pretty your little granddaughter is, no matter how pretty your son is or your daughter is or your whoever human you have in your life, the Bible says that rebellion is found in every single child. We are very good at providing for our children. We are good at putting a roof over their house. We are good at going to sporting events. 
But that's not how we raise our children properly. We have to raise them with the great understanding. We love them so much. I remember when I first got saved, when I was 21 years old, I was living with my mother and I was paying her rent. And I had no wife, no girlfriend, none of that. I was just serving the Lord. And when I came across this powerful verse in the book of Proverbs, where the book of Proverbs said, when you raise your children properly, when I mean properly, I'm not talking about just giving them the iPhone. I mean, I don't know if you know this, maybe Canada doesn't have this story, but when I was growing up in the late 70s and in the mid-80s and the early 90s, we actually had a store called Pay Less. How astounding is that? Ask a child, a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, what is Pay Less? Today, we don't just buy our kids any phone. It has to be iPhone 12, iPhone 13, and iPhone 14. And for whatever reason, we think we're going to have a great family because we're prospering, because they're cute, because they're educated. I have learned the only time you grow in life properly and go forward is in times of adversity. Dad, let me encourage you. You are not just a man. You are, sir, the governor of your house. And all you godly women that are watching online, at church, sitting there tonight, I know you well enough to know, because I know lots of godly women, you want your husbands to become the governor of their homes. My wife has corrected both of our grown children today. But when a dad does it, it can be different. It can even be better. Because there's something about an anointing on a dad that when dad says it one time and he has to bring the discipline, the reason we do it is because we let God, our father, discipline us. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he will correct. He will build us up. The Bible says very clearly, if your son sins, you will correct him with discipline with the rod. I am not saying that we should spend our time spanking our kids. But I'm telling you, do what works. But understand, you've got to take something from them temporarily to teach them a lesson. The spanking is not the lesson they have to learn. But pain comes towards us to let us know that there are certain things in all of our lives that need to be corrected. Have you ever heard of the statement, tender warrior? That's what a godly man needs to be. We need to be tender in the presence of God. We've got to cultivate our marriage in prayer, oh man of God. We've got to cultivate our children. That's what I did. My children have grown. One is almost 30 and one just turned 27. They love the Lord. They go to church. And you know what? It wasn't always easy. It was hard. One of our presidents from the past said it this way. I have been to war and I've also raised two daughters. But I'm here to let you know I'd rather go to war than try to raise two of our children. Here's what I want to explain to you. Marriage was never designed to be easy. I'm not against the five languages of love, how to touch your wife a certain way, and how to touch your husband a certain way. We don't have time to get into it, but you can read on your own. 
I think it's the book of Ecclesiastes. You can read that on your own for the sake of time. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 9 clearly tells us in the Bible what marriage is all about. We are living in a time, at least in the country that I live in, 53% of Christian marriages end in divorce. Why is that? Because our culture is becoming stronger. The voice of the world is becoming stronger. But at the same time, if that is happening, then all Christians, we are all set up for the spirit of revival. See, when revival happens, family of God, it is the yearning of the heart of the Father. When the Bible says, I will return the children to the hearts of the Father. And I will cause the hearts of the fathers to return back to the children. To me, Jesus was the most masculine man that ever walked the face of the earth. Men loved him and adored him. Women loved him and adored him. Even when he was preaching, after laying his hands upon people of leprosy and raising the dead, you know what the outcome of that one was? Little kids wanted to sit on the lap of Jesus. And we have to return to that kind of lifestyle. We've got to be a man of great audacity that we are going to do wrong. There are sexual devils that chase men from great-great-grandpa to grandpa to even maybe if you're watching today, I'm here to let you know. I'm here to encourage you. Go ahead and be vulnerable. God will see to it. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, not only will you be saved from your sin, but you can be saved from a lifestyle of bondage, a lifestyle of isolation. You become a great man, sir. When you earn the respect of your wife, it's not that your wife doesn't love you, but you know what? It takes a man to say with great repentance to the people he's loved, I've done some things wrong and I want to change some things. There's a man in the Old Testament, his name is Joshua. Joshua stood up in front of thousands upon thousands of you can read it on your own. Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15 tells us he got up and declared and decreed to the nation. He said, me, my household, the church that I pastor literally, and he was a community guy. He said, me and my household, we're not just going to go to church. We're going to serve the Lord. See, Christianity is not designed to be practiced at church. Church is a place where you go, whether it's a youth meeting or a Sunday morning service or a Sunday night service or Wednesday night service. When we go to church, we go to be equipped during praise and worship, to be equipped to hear the word of God. But our Christianity, parents, listen, especially you today, sir, our Christianity is to be practiced in our homes, and in our everyday life. I'll go as far as saying this because I have experienced it. There's no guarantee that your children will always serve the Lord. But I do know this. Sir, let me encourage you. And mamas that are out there, help us brothers out. Let me encourage you by saying this. Please remember, regardless to which way your kids may go, wayward for a while, always do this. 
while your children are in the jurisdiction of your family and your house and your household and the atmosphere that you live in, the best thing you can do is live a godly life in front of the church. That simply means don't go to church to pretend. Go to church to be equipped by the pastor, by the missus pastor, by the co-pastor, by all the leaders that you had this morning, the people that are leading praise and worship, the people that are taking the tithes and the offering. These are great people. Live by example. Before you can ever be a great father, the Bible makes it very, very clear. You must learn to become a godly, godly husband. And in saying that, let me quote you another verse. It's so wonderful to be able to do church with you, to be able to speak life to you. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 7, this to help all you dads out. Uh, in the same way, you husbands must give honor uh, to your wife. It's kind of hard to do sometimes, Pastor. It's hard to honor my wife, man, sometimes, Pastor. You don't understand. She don't treat me like a man. She treats me like I'm her son. It don't matter. God, sir, doesn't treat you like a girl. God treats you like a man. And you know what? When you are treated like a man, you almost have to earn it. What do I mean by that is not earn it by self-righteous acts. The people in your life, the wife of your youth, your children, the reason they love you, let me tell you, it's not because you're perfect. It's because you're vulnerable. It's because you're honest. Your children need to see, yes, my dad makes mistakes. Yes, my mom makes mistakes. Yes, they do wrong. But at the end of the day, my mom and my dad are together. They fight for each other's marriage because my dad loves my mom. How do you learn all these wonderful truths? When you become a Christian, the very spirit of the living God enters your heart. He becomes your DNA. The great Andrew Murray would say, the inner chambers of your heart. You still have to work your soul. You still have to offer your bodies unto God a living sacrifice. But the Bible says in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. I've been pastoring a long time. There's a whole bunch of people living together that do not treat each other right. And life is full of difficulties. Life is full of disappointments. I often say, if you're going to be at the mercy of anybody, make sure it's God. There is never a time when you do something wrong and you go to God and ask him to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to make a statement here that's very strong. But if you hear from your spirit, you'll completely understand. Forgiveness is actually for everybody, but in reality, it's not for everybody. Forgiveness can only be a part of the person who repents of their sin. Today we are taught, love everybody, love everybody, love everybody. But let me ask you a question. What does true love really give? The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. What did God give? He didn't give us an emotion. He gave us a person. 
The Bible says God is love. But if you study everything that Jesus taught, Jesus always made this statement. The love of God, Paul said in Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus spoke about himself, this is what he said. God so loves you that he gave me to you. And Jesus said, if you don't know who I am, this is who I am. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Love without truth always leads to error. Sometimes strong preachers, maybe like myself, maybe like your pastor, Granny, we are strong preachers of righteousness. And sometimes we are clearly misunderstood. Our passion is misunderstood. You're just screaming at us. You're yelling at us. We're actually not. Because we love so much, we always want to present truth to you. You and I clearly know it's not taught about much these days. There is a real place called hell. We always talk about heaven. The Bible clearly teaches that there are people that go to hell every day. If you study the scriptures, the Bible says that even hell is being enlarged day by day. So let me ask you a question. Can you even prove to me, and you can, if people are going to hell, did God stop loving them? The reason people are in hell is not because they sinned all their lives or they cheated all their lives. Because I've learned love, truth, and the third person like the Godhead of love and truth is always humility. It takes great courage, great humility, and great brokenness to come to a holy God and repent of their sins. See, when you repent of your sins, doesn't mean you'll ever live a perfect life, but you will begin to live a consistent life. And Dad, let me encourage you. Your wife that loves you, watch my wife don't love me, but she's with you still, isn't she? Your kids still say hello to you, don't they? But you have to understand here very clearly. If we're going to treat each other properly, the Bible says treat your wife with understanding and live together. Now, the Bible says this is not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. She may be weaker than you are. What I mean by that is I'd be a little concerned. Like I, at home, I do some, uh, um, you know, I curl, do some curly things like that. And I, and I you know, do my, my shirt push-ups. Now, when the Bible says she's weaker than you, now, the women have their own way of doing push-ups, but I'd be a little concerned if I did 35 push-ups the right way and my wife did 45 the right way, I think there'd be a little bit of a problem. What the Bible clearly is teaching us is this, that the woman is a weaker vessel. That simply means that you are stronger than her naturally. How do I know that? Because the Bible says here later, she may be weaker than you are, but watch, I love this, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And I love this part. This is the vulnerability and the key to how to become a great man. If you're going to become a great man, you must have deep, deep understanding of life, God, your wife, and your children. The Bible says, treat her as you should. Why? So your prayers may not be hindered. 
That means when you start living that way, I have known God, or God has known me, in such a way that even if I come to God in great worship and great praise, that understanding that that man can have what God is there. The voice and the sound of God is not an echo. It's a strong voice that comes from within you because the Spirit of God lives in you. I've heard God say not many times, a few times, before you bring your tithe to me, before you come and worship me, go and fix that thing with your wife. Well, it was her fault. It does not matter. When was the last time you asked God to forgive you? And he said, I'm not going to forgive you. It's your fault. I'm sick and tired of forgiving you. You're never honest. God never speaks to us that way. He said, in no way will I cast out anybody that comes to me. So as a dad, today should be a special day. Today is a day where you can just basically run around and there's extra love for you today. You can treat your wife better because you are, sir, you are the king of your house. You're not supposed to be the king of the doghouse. And your dog is supposed to be the king of the doghouse. Life is very, very difficult. It is difficult. But if we are not careful, life is completely changing. I'm not saying that we should be mean. There's all kinds of people out there, especially in the part of America that I live in, the San Francisco Bay Area. There's a huge community of LBGTQ people. I have those type of people that go to my church. But here's what I tell them. You are going to live the life that you live. But respect this also. Respect the biblical life that I live. I will never do a gay wedding. I just won't do it. But you know what I will do? I'll keep teaching them the ways of God. I've gone out with these people. I've had breakfast with them. I've had lunch with them. I've had dinner with them. But here's the thing. I'm going to love them as human beings. But I also know this. It's not even about being a homosexual or being a fornicator or being an adulterer. I call it fallen society. This is the way the world is. I'll go as far as saying this. This is what a dad says. The dad is the anchor upon which his children stand. This would be great courage to a great father who understands. Fathers are men who dare to place hope and dreams in their children, knowing that they are in a fallen world. Uh, today, I, I did this this week. My son is uh, turning 30 in September, and our daughter is just turned uh, 27 uh, just a couple weeks ago. And when I was 21 years old, sitting in my mom's house, in a little, little room, I came to a powerful biblical truth. And the biblical truth said that when you raise godly children while they are in your home, they will not be, bring a reproach to your family or bring shame uh, to your family. It's been, it's been uh, 31 years since those days have passed. And this is the week where I can sit back and just say, because what the scriptures teach, my children have not brought a reproach and shame to my 
household. That means with God's help, I have done a pretty good job. My children have seen at times, even in our own home, the arguments, the, we will not be a family that cusses or things like that, but we've all done things. With, there's never been a day where we did not go to church. I believe this way. Most of us are not born in a Christian family. I came out of a world with demon power. What do I mean by that? I was raised a Hindu. And nothing against Hindu people. I'm a Hindu, as you can tell. I even wore this outfit for you that I bought in Pakistan when I was there a couple, couple weeks ago or a month ago speaking the gospel to them. I understand what it means to be raised in a temple. I came from the Fiji Islands. I've been to India a couple of times. I was raised in the temple. And I understood what a Thursday was. I understood what fasting was. And then when I got saved, I came to an understanding of scripture. With the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said this to you and me. What did he say? You, the human body, are the temple of the living God. And after that, my life radically changed. I know the tithes and the offering have been taken, but let me encourage all of you that are watching and go to Celebration Life Church. See, the first paycheck I got as a 14-year-old boy Working in a, uh, at a, at a, at a say, restaurant, working in a hospital in the kitchen area, making about, I don't know, this is 1984, 1985. My first paycheck ever given to me was $120. And I said to my mom, Mom, how much of this money do we give to the Hindu gods? Mom said, All of it. I said, All of it. She said, Yes, all of it. So I gave all 120 to the Hindustani temple gods. When I got saved and I went to church and the pastor got up and said, we're about to take our tithes and the offerings for the day. It was Sunday morning. I looked at my friend that got me saved. I said, what is a tithe? He said, well, a tithe is your livelihood. It's 10% of your income that belongs to God because God wants you to prove to him, not only do you trust him for the salvation of your soul, but also financial freedom in your life. I looked at him. I said, that's not even right. Why does God only want 10, 10%? Does God not know that I stopped drinking because of Jesus? I stopped sleeping around because of Jesus? I stopped going to strip clubs because of Jesus? He only wants 10%. Read the Bible again. I think he said 30 to 40%. He goes, no, he only wants 10%. I mean, this God, this God is absolutely amazing. So like all new believers, we come to church thinking everybody is a tiger. Well, that didn't happen. See, your testimony must always remain the same. I give not so I can get, but remember, every time I give, the Bible says, bring your tithes and offering to the house of God that they may be meet in my house. The purpose of giving is to let God know because I give to you as consistently and as faithful as you bless me. Giving to God, not the church, Hebrews 7, verse 8 tells us, if you have time, you could read it on your own this, this Sunday afternoon. It clearly, clearly states, we give all the time consistently because it keeps us free from the spirit of greed. This morning, I hope I have said something to you, to your house, to your heart. Dads, may the God of heaven.
bring a spirit of revival to your hearts. May God restore your family. And sir, it may take a lot of courage, but if you want to be happy in life, turn into having great joy in your life. You must, you don't have to, you must humble yourself because humility is a sign that you are on your way to becoming a man of God. All men have secrets and God can help you in that area. A lot of men deal with sexual sins and we're not going to get into that too much, but God can deliver you. God can deliver you. You just have to admit there might be an area of your life that needs some help. So all of you that are watching online, all of you that are sitting there at Celebration Life Church, I want to pray with you together. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you so much, God, for giving me the opportunity to speak life to Celebration Life Church. Right now, Father, I pray for a spirit of great revival to come to not just that house, but to the atmosphere. I thank you today, Father, in the name of Jesus, that Celebration Life Church shall become a pervading church and the atmosphere of that region to absolutely change. Bring healing to that house. Bring healing to that church. And let all the men come together and be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, you guys, this is Pastor Joshua. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and the privilege to speak life to your great church there, Pastor Green, and your wonderful husband and your amazing team. I hope to come soon and be there live. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, B3W3B1.